Hello, I'm Evan Ball. Welcome to Striking a Chord, an Ernie Ball podcast. Today we have the Melvins on the show. I'll be speaking with Buzz Osborne, singer, guitar player, and also bass player Stephen McDonald. Melvins hold a very important place in music history. If you trace back the history of Nirvana and Soundgarden and what became grunge rock, you'll inevitably run into the Melvins. From day one, they've blazed their own trail and continue to do so today. I caught up with them before their show in Los Osos, California, where we talked about their history, their future, their guitar strings. We even get an intra-band debate about music streaming revenue. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Buzz Osborne and Stephen McDonald. La 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 la. That looks pretty good. La 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 la. Pretty good. Do you get particular about people saying Melvins versus the Melvins? Okay. Yeah. Do what you want. All right. All roads lead to Rome in that department. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw a fit. We'll kick you guys right out of here if you use the wrong one, but we're not going to tell you what it is. So you got a 50-50 chance. All right. Here we go. Okay. Buzz Osborne. Yes. And Stephen McDonald. Welcome to the podcast. Glad Thank to be you. here. Thank you. All right. You've had a, a long career. Mm-hmm. Still going strong. Going. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going. Is there an event or era that stands out when you look back as, as a high point? No. Um, I'm not really a good old days type of guy yeah. at all. We're uh, still a contemporary band that's making new music, and lots of new records and stuff like that, and I kind of feel like that's sort of how we've always viewed it. I mean, could, you imagine yeah. if, could you imagine if your answer was like, hey, it pretty much peaked around 94. Yeah. It's kind of been downhill, downhill since, since then. then. Yeah. But, you know, we have a pretty good attitude about it, even though we're not in a steady decline. Yeah, yeah. yeah but there might be some magical I mean, there's honorable, nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. You know? No honorable mentions, though? You know, just sort of like uh, any moments, that magical moments that stand out? Nothing. No? Okay. Nothing I can think of. I mean, <laughs> um, I've been down this road before with uh, um, lots of interviews since the whole grunge thing and that whole explosion and stuff like Nirvana and all those things but I don't have a I don't have a lot of happy memories about all that as a result of how it all ended up and uh, so it's hard for me to look back on that and go yeah it was great you know yeah all right, <laughs> let's, let's try this that's then. a tough uh, one you know conversely <laughs> you guys have had I don't know how many gigs is there any gig that stands out as your worst gig we've had really bad shows opening for bands when we were on tour, like uh, in the 90s, opening for bands like, uh, that were like arena rock bands, we w- went out as an unknown and had um, uh, bad experiences with, with other people's audiences. We had one where uh, um, we were opening for Nine Inch Nails in Dallas, Texas. At, I can't remember. What's the name of that place? The, uh, uh, you know the, the Bronco place. Bowl. The Bronco Bowl. And I wasn't there. I had my own bad gigs at the Bronco Bowl. Yeah. And they literally tore the floor up. To throw at us. Wow, that's yeah. that's dedication. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was crazy. It was All the craziest right. show I've ever done. Wow. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, we did a lot of that kind of thing. Mostly it was okay, but a lot of times uh, you'd get done selling your band like that, and we kind of just got tired of that. It was just like not really what we wanted to do anymore. Like yeah. not, not because yeah. of the audiences, but because, you know, we did a lot of that and move on from there. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. We would still do it now, but it had to be under the right circumstances. Yeah, you know, no injuries though on stage. 
One time in uh, a club in um, Rhode Island, um, we were opening for Nirvana. I got hit in the, in the forehead with a quarter and almost knocked me out. Hit me just right in some certain spot, and I was just out on my feet on stage. That's fine. This is going to be the second yeah. podcast episode in a row with a, a quarter story. Really? Yeah, singer getting hit with a yeah. quarter. Yeah. Well, the show that we went um, when we played with Nine Inch Nails in in Dallas. Before we even played, we were walking on stage and somebody threw a whiskey bottle and it hit the drum set and just exploded everywhere. Before we'd even played a note. <laughs> it's like, Welcome. It's like, yeah. Yeah. like this is going to be fun. So right. somehow got a whiskey bottle in there to throw. You know, again, dedication. good old days. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard you talk about your upbringing, a uh, small town in Washington. Yeah. I could see it being difficult to, to put a band together in a small town. Were there just enough like-minded people to, to make a band? Um, did it. Yeah, barely. Yeah. Um, uh, I had my own ideas and visions about what I wanted to do, uh, but not a lot of takers. Um, the guys I started with were guys I went to high school with. And, um, they, Is it Montesano? Montesano. Montesano, okay. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, um, um, I played with the drummer until about 84, and then we got Dale, and um, played with the bass player for about another year or two, maybe, you know? And then uh, we moved on from that. Okay. So. so so given that it's a fairly small town, is it, is, was it difficult to find gigs and, and get a following? Did you have to, were, you, were you sort of sucked towards uh, Seattle? To, to be more oh, yeah, a big yeah. city, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody where we lived cared at all about what we were doing, not okay. at all. And uh, it was, it was strange. I mean, it was a long ways. When I was a kid, it was you know, hundred plus miles to Seattle. Um, it might as well have been a million miles, you know, really. And nobody was driving me. My parents weren't in a position to do that sort of thing for me. So, right, you're on your um, own. Yeah, and then yeah. when we realized that, you know, a lot of the bands I was into were playing there. And then they were also playing some shows in Olympia, which was a little closer, which is actually where we played our first shows, you know. But Steven started playing way before that, you know, yes. when he was 11 years old. I know. I was going to ask him about that. I was going to give him some uh, time to free up his hands, but he's, he's changing his bass strings right now. Guess what kind of strings this, he's using? What kind are they? Roto sounds. Kidding! <laughs> Roto sounds. <laughs> Those are Ernie Ball regular slinky. They are. Bass strings. Um, Bass strings, yes. But wait, I, was, wait, wait, I wanted to add to the Montesano thing, though. Um, I've never been to Mont- Montesano, but I hear a lot about it from these guys. Um, well, and not in the fondest the terms. And I always think that they should go back to Montesano or Aberdeen, the neighboring town that Dale's from. Yeah. And, you know, get the key to the town. Yeah, yeah. Local boys do good. Come on. We could probably, there'd be like a... Homecoming. They're equivalent to a ticker tape. Yeah, at least run for me. Parade. Yeah. At least play a gig, right? Like, there's got to be... Have you uh, not been back there? I've been through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I haven't... To spit on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any, uh, any reason. <laughs> yes, right. I don't have any real reason to go back. I took my but wife back to that area. She's from L.A. I took her back there, and she's like... This whole area is worse than even the way you described it. And I'm sure. Really? <laughs> yeah. And he did not, you know, he did not put it through any kind of rose tinted. No, I heard him be fairly hard on the, the yeah, city. No. I interviews. had no reason to to, uh, to be nice to them. None. Yeah. yeah. Well, ex- ex- At all. Unless, like, the Chamber of Commerce reached out to you extent- and, and, and invited you to yeah, town. Settle the right things. And wanted to celebrate. I would politely say no. Really? What yes. if they're like, we would like to give you the key to the city for the day? I don't like the city. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass. 
pass. <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah, but you've never been the toast of Montesano before. I mean, any town, if you're the you toast know, and, of town. toast of Montesano would be a feather in anyone's cap. <laughs> well, I guess I'm just trying to put like it's like an, uh, you know, trying to put a, uh, a good spin on it. Well, no, no. I'm actually speaking now directly to anybody that might be on the um, city council and that area. Those people can, those people got to stand up for them, right? Right. Those okay. people can kiss my ass. They should reach out. There's a, there's a public email address on melvins.net or something. And, um, they should put together. They should put together an offer, and I think they should celebrate their hometown. Yeah, yeah. You know their favorite. Can we? Can, can we? The can favorite we, sons. We have, of to, their we have to watch our language region. on this. No. Okay, I, I've got an offer for them. How about if they <laughs> b- me? <laughs> yeah, All right, right Montesano, okay. if you're listening, uh, so, cook so up an they, offer if you're brave enough. So they get an That's offer. my offer. I want a counter offer. <laughs> Wait. So you mean you? Yeah. You would take that over I'll work, cash. I'll work from over cash, or you want to? I'm on top of the cash. I take both, yeah. I take half in cash. <laughs> what about Seattle, if they gave you the keys to Seattle? Seattle was a lot nicer. We, we Seattle was much, Seattle. Yeah, Seattle was much nicer to us, okay. yeah. I, like, I liked it up there. I never really wanted to live there, but we have very fond memories of Seattle, you know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, in the early days, certainly. Yeah. You know, um, um, and Olympia, too. Both those. And once I got out of where I lived and realized that there was more likely-minded people, to some degree, um, that it wasn't just me. That uh, um, there was a whole new world out there, a big world that didn't involve yeah. any of that kind of thing. Um, small town politics and all those kinds of things. I'm not, I don't fit in well with there. There, I've lived in L.A. for almost 27 years now. Um, I feel really comfortable in that massive environment. Yeah. Um, lost in the magnitude of the entire space. Um, and uh, it's my favorite place to be in the whole world. And I miss it when I'm gone. And it's, it's where I've lived the longest. And, and, and you like LA, man? But aren't you Love just it. a cog in the machine? No, there? I, I say no to all what, kinds of stuff. What's the deal? I say no all the time. Do you want to do that? No, not really. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, all those plastic Hollywood parties. I go, you don't have to do any of it. Sure. Just don't go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're, you know, no, I don't have time. There was a, a really good interview with Bob Dylan in the early '60s where, where they were asking, "Are you going to go to the pro or the war protest tonight? The protest?" You know, he goes. No, I'm going to be busy tonight. <laughs> I love that. That's the answer. Yeah. No, I'm going to be busy tonight. Very straightforward. <laughs> okay, before we leave Seattle. Yeah. Okay. So back in the day, I'm wondering how intertwined were all these bands? On this side of history, it's easy to look back and say that's the Seattle scene. Was, was yeah. it that cohesive of a scene? Well, it was very small at the time. Yeah. We left there around 86, 87, and there wasn't much going on okay. at the time. Um, but you kept in contact with a lot of the people there, right? Certainly. Yeah. Um, we were always friends with the Soundgarden guys, and I, I, I was always really good friends with people like Mark Arm from Mudhoney and Steve Turner. And um, Mark Arm, I would say, was the the guy there the most that that I uh, felt the strongest kinship to musically, and he turned me on to lots of stuff, and I enjoyed his company a great deal. I always, to this day, still yeah. do. Um, Dale and I are going to do some recording. And Stephen, if he wants to join in, he can absolutely. We're going to do some recording with the two Mudhoney guys, Steve yeah. and Mark, um, coming up. Yeah. So they're going to come down and do some recording with us. So that'll be great. And we did some yeah. recording last year with the drummer, um, Matt Cameron from Soundgarden. And, and um, uh, we played the big uh, Chris Cornell tribute, which is another really hard thing. You know, there's no closure on stuff like that. It's um, super, one of the saddest things I've ever been involved in. You know, it's all of there's a lot of dark. 
um, energy around that whole thing that I have a hard time brushing off. I have a really hard time with it. Okay. How about Alice in Chains? Is that, were I, they in there or is that a separate? I had no contact with those guys. Okay. When, they, when we were up there, what I knew of Alice in Chains was they were more like a hair metal band mm. and nothing, nothing to do with what we were doing. They got into that after. After yeah. I left, I don't know how. Or yeah, yeah. I would never claim to know any of those guys whatsoever. Okay. You know. Well, when 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 bands are in a, a a certain area, they have things in common. They play gigs together naturally. A scene forms naturally. Was anyone identifying as grunge there, or is that something that gets imposed later? That was I, after we left. Yeah. You know. So did you guys identify in any certain way the bands that you were playing with? Well, I was always really happy with those guys' success. You know, I was happy that that happened for them um, on a on a global level, and I was always really happy and satisfied that they would mention us in conjunction with that. Yeah. And so it made me feel like what we were doing wasn't really wrong; that it was really right. It was like a revolution to some degree, and and it changed music as we know it on a global level. Yeah, and to be a part of that is uh it's satisfying but then you know you kind of go okay then now what you know yeah so you don't really do i don't dwell on stuff like that too much i mean it's just not it's not a i don't think it's that healthy was there any way to predict the mainstream success of any of those bands no i would never would have i would never that would, would never have suggested that that would happen yeah i just felt like what we were doing was adding something like kind of modernizing music in a way that wasn't happening at the time yeah. I've, and I was writing music that I thought was good without yeah. worrying about whether anyone else thought it was good, figuring that I had good taste in music. And if I liked it, honestly, there'd be other people in the world that would like it. Yeah. I don't know how many, but, you know, uh, I just figured, and that really hasn't changed. I figured that, that that was the way I wanted to do it, and I was going to stick to that, and I've stuck to it since. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Don't worry about, I don't know what people want. I have no idea what people want. I've never claim to know what people want sure. and I, I i don't think i could write music with that in mind i don't think i could do it and not that i couldn't do it but i don't think it would be good well what will people like you know i, I don't know so far so good um we surpassed our initial expectations for the band within the first two years of the band which was you know it'd be great to play a show it'd be great if we could play on a stage that was it really when we started i didn't yeah. have any ideas about making records that was, that's absurd that was an absurd concept you know and now here we are made well over 20 albums and you know lots and lots of other recordings and written and recorded more than 500 songs and do you, you have know, a just, favorite by the way an album that you're most proud of i can probably pick out five albums i really like okay. um uh walk with love and death i really like because that was a fake soundtrack that we wrote and then a regular album that was really fun with Steven and um, um, and I like the Eggnog EP. I like the Stoner Witch record. I like the Stag record, and I like uh, probably uh, I would throw in um, Hostile Army Takeover. Cool, probably just off the top of my head. But there's lots. We've done so many; it's hard to pick. Yeah, I like the stuff we did with the Big Business guys a lot. We did three albums with those guys. That was really fun. Um, but you know, I don't know how you decide. You know, um, when you have that many records, it's like hard to decide. Sure. All right. Looks like Steven's got his last uh, string right. on there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I changed my string. We really, we really, we were always a big fan of Steven's. Yeah. The Melvin's guys, you know, in the band, he's in Red Cross. We were always a huge fan of Red Cross. Long, long, long before we ever yeah. had so, any contact. So you've been in the in the in Melvin's for about four years. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Something like that. When did you guys mm -hmm. first cross paths? Was there any? Were there any early? Uh, yeah. 
Uh, well, Buzz moved to L.A. in the early 90s, and, that, and I've lived in L.A. my whole life. Okay. So, and then we had mutual friends, so we intersected around that. A little bit. Not a tremendous amount. Bill Bartel. Had a mutual friend. With Bill Bartel. Yeah. Mutual friend, yeah. So, yeah, the guy yeah. of this, the author of this T-shirt is a mutual friend. Yeah. Who's no longer with us. That's He's another sad on. story. But yeah. uh, so Bill Bartel, also known as Pat Fear of White Flag, would be the most common, common denominator. Black Flag comes to mind as, as maybe a, a big influence for both of you independently. You're in California. You're in, yeah. you're in Washington. Yeah. And you both have maybe different experiences of, of coming across that band early on. Oh, I always liked Black Flag a great yeah. deal. Um, most of their stuff. And Steven um, knew those guys from their very beginning. Yeah. So. Yeah. Much more than me. That's true. Yeah, Black Steven, what Flag. Is, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Black Flag. <laughs> Great band. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> no, well, the, the good story flag. I like from him is that he played with Black Flag in Red Cross when he was 11. It's well, true. That sounds like a good story. Yeah, yeah. Well, our very first gig, we got them a gig. Um, our first gig was playing in Just eighth reiterate, you're 11. Um, well, okay, I'm 11. And in Red Cross. I'm in Red Cross. We're playing an eighth grade graduation party. Which is, I was just graduating sixth grade, so these were big kids. Um, and in Hawthorne, California, where I'm from, and um, and then we asked the girl, the eighth grader that was throwing the party, if we could have our friends play too. She's like, sure. And it was our new friends, these weird older guys from Hermosa Beach, Black Flag. And it was one of their first shows. How also. did you meet those guys initially? Um, we went to like one of their first shows, and then. Um, I think that they had their first EP. They had just they had just like had it printed up themselves, and it had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, the nervous breakdown EP it had a Lawndale address on the back cover, and Lawndale's the town next door to Hawthorne, where I'm from. So we looked them up, uh, uh, you know, information like yellow pages, white pages, SST. Really. And SST. There they were. Yeah, and then and then they like you know my brother called them and said hey can. Yeah, we got this band. My brother, he's 11. Can we open for you? Just cold call. I think he just laughed. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, what, that's what you had to do, kids. Assuming that it's mostly kids listening to the podcast. Back in our day, children, you had to sync all the telephone. And we couldn't, um, we couldn't direct message people. You couldn't wow. text people. You had to find them through the white pages, yellow pages, whatever, 411. That's what we would do. So... Back to this party, did the eighth graders' parents sign off on this party, having Black Flag play in their, what, living room? Well, yeah. The, well, okay, so that her name is Lisa Stangle. I always kind of throw that in there as if anybody knows. So, yeah, we played Lisa Stangle's eighth grade graduation party. Uh, I, I don't think her mom was around. We just interviewed her recently for a documentary that's being made about Red Cross. What is she doing now? Oh, she lives, like, in Palmdale, she came down to Hawthorne for the day, and we stood in front of the, her childhood home. Is she on methadone? No, she's she's not on methadone. I met her children. They were nice. Are they on methadone? Um, I didn't get... We, the conversation didn't get that in-depth. But sure um, they're not. I don't know what was up with the parents. My concern was actually, now that I was talking to her in person, and she was just like, you know, like we were into this punk rock thing, which was really weird and... It was unknown in our town at the time. So 
it would it would have been bizarre. Like I almost felt like we. I almost felt like because she wasn't into that. She had no idea. She thought she was hiring like a a cover band or something, like someone that would come play a foreigner foreigner covers. That's what was popular at the time. So Any, you played Velvet Underground covers. Yeah. Well, we did. We did a, a New York Dolls cover. It's true. Anyways, I was concerned that like we had destroyed her rep. You know, like her popularity. Like, wow, she's graduated from eighth grade, and we just not got our weirdo punk stench all over her, you know. But she said no. She actually had a different story. So she thought that everybody loved it. My experience was that the kids hated it and that they heckled us and booed us the entire time. And when Black Flag played, they just evacuated. They were afraid of these weird older dudes with... Rightly so. They should have been, with Sound City stacks in their living room. So that's what she said it was a hit. Maybe she's being. That's the way she remembers it, and I don't. Whatever, whatever. I mean, good. I'm glad it didn't, you know, scar her reputation. So it all worked out. Good, good. Yeah, that's a good story. So, Stephen, if you're you're playing gigs at eleven, when did you? How much space is there between you starting to learn and actually playing gigs? No, not much. But um, and I can't believe we haven't brought this around to Ernie Ball years. yet because <laughs> I believe I was probably playing Ernie Ball strings at this time even. And this That's is wonderful. Yeah, nineteen seventy eight. Um, I got my first bass. I think it was Christmas. You still have it? Yes, I still have it. I have a Fender Music Master. It was either Christmas of seventy seven or seventy eight, but it was soon after that I was writing songs and we made a record and yeah. we were re recording by seventy nine and. Um, and doing gigs that 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 gig in the eighth grade graduation party was in June 1979. Yeah, so it Did wasn't you play too full long. Full since since that time, or were you still? Doing I went on like and, and work I've always been in a band. I've ha- I've had re- I've had like a brief periods of straight gigs. I worked in an office for a while in my 30s or 40s, but um, pretty much I've I've always had a band, a serious band in my life. And Red Cross took a nine-year hiatus, but we're up and around. We've been back at it for 12 years now, so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, while we're talking about guitar strings, what guitar yeah. strings do you play, Buzz? I play 52 to, to fifty-two to 10s, you know? Okay. Skinny top, heavy bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, cool. And uh, I've played those for a long time. I mean, I tend to think that, uh, um, weirdly, guitar strings, if I change my guitar strings, they, they feel better the second day. And then I don't really like new ones as much. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Well, the the Melvins tune a lot. We, we tune, we have, on this particular set, we have three different tunings during Four, the actually, show. Four, start with the first one. Four. Yeah. And, um, and typically, like most bands would maybe set up their guitars specifically for a, a specific tuning. But the Melvins just, just, just one, one one set fits all tunings. Yeah. Okay. And we tune, we change the tunings of our guitars during the show. Dale, yeah. Will, yeah. Dale does sort of like a mock drum solo to A, low A. Oh, really? Yeah, with a fifty-two, huh? Yeah, yeah, down okay. to A. But I it kind of, but it kind of sounds like it. Cool. But it's it sounds, cool. It's, it's supposed r- to sound pretty rank, you know. It's yeah, it's yeah. freaky. <laughs> it's but freaky, it but and it doesn't have to be perfectly in tune. There's enough bands playing in tune. People shouldn't expect us sure. to do that. Sure. But but the set of strings that Buzz plays seems fitting for how radically we're changing the tuning it sort of it approximates the name the word buzz yeah yeah no but just the idea that you could tune really low and then go back up to e with one set of strings i play with rather than a different setup you know that sounds like a good endorsement for the whatever strings you're playing yeah Yeah. that's that's i'm I'm just i'm trying to give it to you yeah and and just feed this to you 
But but two shows, the second show is the sweet spot. I find I find for bass too because as we're tuning all the time, like the, it just it's they don't just, stretch as much. It, yeah, it's just it's it's so more ready for, for next show too. I've do, I do two shows. Yeah, yeah. I do two shows per. I, I'll do a third show sometimes. Uh, some people don't like that. They like the brand new ones. Right. And I know we've toured with bands, um, especially the big bands, arena rock bands, where their guitar tech will, the bass tech will change the strings after sound check and then change the strings halfway through the show. Yeah, come on. It's like you yeah. just want your guy changing strings all yeah, day. Right? Exactly. <laughs> They're just trying to make things up for him to do. And plus, I don't like during the show, I do not want to change guitars. What most bands would do is they'd have all those tunings in different guitars. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Because I also feel like the guitar is this, I want the guitar with me the whole night. So it warms up with me during the whole show. If you guys had a magic wand and could change the music industry, how would you change it? I would push a button and kill everybody in it. Boom. Oh. Instantly. <laughs> Steven? Oh, I don't Same know. Same fix? Yeah, no, I don't. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. What if it was like all all powerful? Like you could, you the could, wand. you could, un- yeah, you could uninvent streaming. You could, you could create more music clubs. But it's, but it's only all powerful within the music industry. I can't aim no, for no, world no. peace you, or something with this it. wand. No, no, well, it has to be <laughs> music related. Yeah, <laughs> really? you could change people's taste buds if you wanted. Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, if you can, I don't want to fix it. I don't, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. I, yeah, I don't look at it like it. It's like it's like it's you know everybody complains about like you know oh now. The bands don't get paid because of streaming. The bands never got paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When was this golden era when labels were paying bands? Uh, you talk to people like Bo Diddley, he never got a dime. Nothing. Back when people were buying records. So what's changed? It's not any different, really, for bands. I mean, you're probably not going to get anything no matter what you do. Yeah. Well, no, I guess one thing I would change is I think that the... Um, I keep. I'm. I'm disappointed that streaming has not turned out to be very much money for artists because I do think that it, it it does seem very viable and that it could turn out to be a lot of money. But it sounds like the industry move. They had better lawyers, and so the, on their ad, they advocated for their side more so than the people creating the music. Yeah, but you have to get that's to a bummer. For it. You have to get what, people to pay. But people for do. It. There, are, there, are, there, are, there are there are hundreds of millions of people subscribing to to streaming services now. From what I understand, yeah, they're all paying they're ten all, to fifteen bucks a month. But, so that's billions of dollars. There is actually billions of dollars being generated. But the but the 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 label people from what I understand. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I keep hearing that Lady Gaga, 40 million streams, $2,000 check. I don't know if that's true or whatever, but someone got a lot more than that. A $2,000 check for those 40 million streams though. And if it's not her, if you look at the total streams though, it's way more than 40 million. Yeah. Well, I'm saying the paid ones, something, how many actual streams totally are there? I mean, look, I'm talking, in, I'm, I'm talking in pure hypotheticals right now. All I'm saying is I know there are billions of dollars being paid by, by consumers to listen to music. I, for one, I have an Apple Music account. I fucking love it. I'm glad to pay, pardon my French, I'm glad to pay the $15 for my, full fa- my entire family to yeah, listen to anything. Quite a deal. You know, anything aside from like the really cool rare stuff, you know, $15 whatever. $15 a month, right? Yep. Okay. In the good I old love days, it. I love the good it. old days, in the good old days, 
that's how much each of those things you're listening to would have cost you. Yeah, it's true. So there's not anywhere near as much money. Yeah, but there's so many more people listening and buying because because I yeah, I was one of the weirdo. I was one of the crap. I was one of the weirdos that would spend like a hundred bucks a month. That's what I mean. But I was a very small piece of the popular. Look, I'm I'm a lifer rock and roller. You know, I mean, give me a break. Most your average person would wait for like the one Eagles record to come out a year and they buy that. Whatever, you know, a lot of people were spending the equivalent of my 150 bucks a year. That was your average weekend listener forever, kind of. And so it's there's still a lot of money being generated for music listening. It's just we, the artists ourselves, for whatever reason, we weren't smart enough or we didn't have the power or whatever to make sure that we had the lobbyists making sure that the content creators got a good royalty. That's what I've heard. That's what I tend to believe because I know that there is money being generated. Yeah. So if I had the wand, perhaps I would, you know, and I was complaining about this 15 years ago, but because I've been listening to streaming services for a long time. Yeah, but the only thing is, is you're, if you look at how many, how many people, what they're listening to, yeah. it's not going to be anything that w- would involve us. Uh, I don't know. That's not true. No, it's like, uh, and who's going to tally it all up? I mean, it's mind blowing. If I can go on like those, like you know, uh, iTunes artists or Spotify artists, you know, there's like hundreds of thousands of people that have listened to my streamed my music online or more. You know, it's it's surprising to me. Like, there's people in Thailand listening to my music. You know, it's like I think that we would benefit along with the mainstream as well. It's just uh, it's it just got. We the art the the copyright holders weren't the ones with the really good lawyers, from what I can tell. Yeah, but I don't that think got the, that I don't think there's anywhere near the better as deals. much money as you might think. You know. Well, all I know is ten to fifteen bucks a month, one hundred fifty dollars a it. year. That's it. F- multiply that times however many millions, hundreds of millions of people are paying for subscriptions, and then and then you get your billion dollar then you industry. Have to, but numbers. then you have to take it by each stream. And yeah. divide it up, dividing it with everybody that got streamed. Yeah. Maybe You're the still not going to get any money. I think no. we need to make people be willing to pay fifty bucks a month. Yeah, 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 yeah right. And, and, still won't, be willing and to you still won't. So you, you still say won't that paid. people aren't paying enough. I'm saying that I think the the end, the, the labels are making all the money. The pie chopped differently. Yeah, they they yeah, yeah. they 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 they're dividing it unfairly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. But they always did that. Yeah, and I'm just saying that that's the if I did have the wand. That would be my one wish. Okay. To recut that deal. I still want my wish Listen to, be, to me. I still want my wish to be everybody dead. Yeah. <laughs> that seems more realistic. Well, see, my first question was could well, I. Much more realistic. That's much just more like realistic. I asked for world peace first. So. Where, where, how is that going to help? Through music? No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Where are we going from here? You guys have a favorite book or movie of all time? My favorite movie is The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Followed closely by um, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, probably Female Trouble and Love and Death by Woody Allen. Favorite book? That's a hard one. There's so many. Um, Wise Blood, probably. Who's that by? I, haven't, I don't Flannery know. Flannery O'Connor. Okay. Or, um, God, I don't know, Under the Volcano, maybe. All right. New album releases. What do you guys have coming up? I have a new solo record coming out, solo acoustic record that I did with Trevor Dunn. It's going to come out in May. I'm going to do a big tour with that. And then... Um, we have, are always recording stuff. We have lots of stuff that's going to be You record up. all your own music? We record with a guy named Toshi Kasai at our own place. Yeah. We have for a long time. And um, we'll probably continue with that. 
Steven records bands on his own. We'll probably do some recording with him more so in the future, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ne- never wait too long between anything. We're working on a new Melvin's 1983 record, which is uh, me and the original drummer and Dale playing bass. That's as close as we can get to the original lineup, or as close as we're willing to get to the yeah. original lineup. We did an album with, with him a few years ago that, that was really fun to do. Yeah. Called Trace Cabrones, which nobody ever got the joke. So I'll just leave it at that. Did they? I don't think they did. Yeah. Uh, we thought it was obvious. It's not obvious. Somebody must have said something. Somebody. Somebody, yeah. So you don't think it's obvious? Wait. Trace Cabrones. Yeah, three, like. Right, but it, it's, it's a takeoff of something else. You know? Nobody gets it, see? That's, that's You're talking about the, Three Amigos? Uh, no, it's some of the ZZ Top record. Right. Trace Hombres. Trace Hombres. Uh, Trace Hombres. Which is three men. But is, I like the Three Amigos. Trace Cabrones is three dumbasses. <laughs> we just thought everybody would assume it. And, and, and nobody got it. So, they just well. need to hear this podcast. I guess so, yeah. yeah. So, Buzz, you, I think it's safe to say you're kind of a nonconformist. Um, yeah. Maybe... <laughs> Not not for the sake Pretty of being safe. disagreeable, yes. but you're just you're not one to, to follow the pack. Has that no, always been really. part of your your personality? Um, it's not perversely. I guess I'm a Groucho Marxist, which is I don't want to belong to any clubs that'll have me as a member. You know, I don't really care that much about it. Yeah, acceptance. It's like you know, I'm accepted by enough people, and it's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I like these guys. I like playing with these guys a whole lot. I've been married for 26 years to the same woman. She's willing to put up with my crap. And I think that that's, those women don't grow on trees. I'm very happy about all of it. Can't really imagine much more than that for me. Relatively simple. Yeah. Yeah. All Do right. what I want. Walk around as my own boss. I like it. Steven, any final words? Oh, uh, uh, no, oh I, li- I like my Ernie Ball strings. I really appreciate Ernie Ball supporting the Melvins. That's right. I've been playing these strings probably longer than any other strings. And... Um, and I mean that sincerely. That's awesome. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. On that note, the great Buzz Stephen, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for your thank interest. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Ernie Ball's Striking Accord, and thanks to the Melvins. The longevity of their band, the total disinterest in popular trends, the number of projects those guys are involved in. It's great to hear from such unique and impressive individuals. Thanks, Buzz and Stephen. If you'd like to contact us, email strikingaccord at ernieball.com. Shameless plug. We have a new volume pedal with a tuner in it. Oh, that's cool. Very nice. Yeah. If you play with the volume pedal, you know, might as well have a tuner in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why not? I like that. Yeah. Do a lot of your pedals have... I mean, wait, wait, you, have a, wait, you have a volume pedal with a tuner in it, okay? Yeah, so on the face of it, uh-huh. there's actually a touch screen. Mm-hmm. And it has... Graphically, you tu- yeah, you can see it. So in the heel down position, that's how you'd normally set it up. Uh-huh. It goes to a tuner. Uh-huh. Yeah. When it's off. Yeah, so when the sound's off, in, off in the heel down position... Kicks in. Then it goes to tuner. So you have to turn, you have to turn the tuner on. Yeah, there's a, there's a mode where you can have in tuner mode all the time, right. if uh-huh. you like. But oh, really? But otherwise, if it's it'll it'll just have like your volume one through ten, so you can actually see it. Make sure you're at ten. Make sure you're whatever. Oh, wow. So it's it's really useful. That yeah. sounds cool. You can yeah. mute it. Mute yeah, and there's the a lot of average tuners out in the world, and this is, we we didn't want to do that. So it, it actually is really responsive. And anyway, we like to call yeah. our tuning remotely close tuning. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or it's an approximation. It's remotely yeah. close. As long as it's remotely <laughs> close, we're good. I mean, that's kind of the world we came out of, you know? It's, yeah. like, it's like picking that shit out of pepper That's at certain points. You know? It's like, really? You think you're out of tune? 
know? Okay. Look where you're playing. Like, it's going to make any difference? Yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, um, I read this thing a long time ago um, in this book called The Dark Stuff, where they're, this guy doing an interview with uh, the New York Dolls. He's talking to David Johansson in the 70s. He goes, do you realize how out of tune Johnny Thunders was last night? It was horrible. He goes, why would you worry about something like that when there's, so, when there's that much good drama going on? <laughs> it's like, right, that's it, you know? You're worrying about the wrong thing.